Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 366. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lended FinTech. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Sandy Kemper. He is the CEO and founder of C2FO. Now, C2FO is a truly unique company. They are all about working capital. Probably no one has done more for small businesses to access working capital in this country than C2FO, but they're not a lender. A company has suppliers and they have customers. And what they do is they really help maximize cash flow by companies can sort of decide with their suppliers, you know, how much they want to pay them, how, when they want to pay. And with their customers, they can allow them to pay them later for a premium. And this is all done at massive scale. We're talking, you know, one and a half million customers. We're talking, you know, $200 billion of total funding and it's growing all the time. You know, Sandy talks about also the the impact of um, these unusual economic times. And he actually has some really interesting insights to share there. He talks about the future of working capital and what's going to happen there and much more. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Sandy. Wonderful to be here, Peter. Thank you. Okay. So let's let's kick it off by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. And looking at your LinkedIn profile, you started in banking, it seems. So tell us a little bit of the highlights. Highlights or lowlights? I'm a recovering banker, ran a bank here in the Midwest for the Midwest of the United States for a number of years, and it came up on the commercial loan side. Our business bank practice was around small and mid-sized businesses, very focused on working capital. And it was my job to find ways to get companies who needed money, the money they needed to be successful. And that's what I did as a commercial banker, realizing that the, the bank itself had some constraints and there was financial underwriting necessary to that delivering of working capital. I began wondering if there's a way for us to do something that was more efficient. And early on as a financial technology guy and banker guy, uh, began to think about more efficient ways of getting capital to companies outside of the banking system. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so then what was the aha moment or the founding story of C2FO? When I retired from the bank in 2000, I started a company called uh, eScout that later became Perfect Commerce. Perfect Commerce was a good company, not a great company. It was a B2B e-commerce uh, marketplace. It was competing at that time with companies like Ariba and Commerce One. We were venture capital funded and we had wonderful funders. But by 2002, uh, we had built a fairly decent business, decent revenue, but there wasn't a lot more capital to be had. That was a bit of a nuclear winter for venture capital and private equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were very close to running out of money. And my CFO came to tell me that we might miss the payroll. But yeah, we always had a fair amount of accounts receivable. And so I did what I think any one of us would do, got on the phone and talked to the people who owed us the money to see if they could pay us early. And I realized how clunky that process was, how difficult and somewhat risky it was to get on the phone with your largest customers to to ask them to pay early. And I also realized they had no idea what the right market price for that early payment was. So the idea to create a more efficient way to be paid sooner with more price discovery on both sides of the equation was the origin story of C2FO. All right. So then, you know, when I was reading about you guys in the early days, you managed to land a pretty big client pretty early, like Costco. I think I heard you say one time you had like, you know, 12 or 13 people in your company when you landed Costco. So tell us a little bit about how you're able to position yourself for a company of that size. We were obviously very lucky. 
we were introduced to Costco by someone on the board who had heard about what we were doing. Costco has a very unique and I think very differentiated view of, of how it thinks about its customers and its suppliers. They're very holistic. They were looking for ways to reduce cost inside their supply chain. They were working with, at that time, a credit card company. And uh, that credit card company, which were made unnamed, was portrayed in trying to persuade them to pay more of their suppliers via their card. And then, of course, taxing the suppliers with interchange, which was not something that Costco wanted to do. They saw that as cost accretive, not cost reducing. Mm -hmm. They also sort of believed that static discounting was inefficient because those terms are either on or off and not at the discretion of the supplier. So a static platform basically says, if the buyer is going to pay you early, they will pay you a little bit less. If they're going to pay you on time, they're going to pay you your full dollar amount. The supplier in this case doesn't know what's going to happen until you come to that crossover date for early payment. We built a platform that lets the supplier name their rate to be paid early. And Costco thought if that supplier was naming their price, by definition, they'd be satisfied with the price. They're telling you what they're willing to pay. And if you take that, then by definition, it's good. And so we started off with a very high net promoter score from day one, very high goodwill and satisfaction from our suppliers in the Costco marketplace. They were our first big client. And we were, as I say, very lucky. And they've been a fantastic client ever since. They got a ton of different suppliers there. You get them in and suddenly you get a whole... A whole range of others in there. So it leads to additional large center nodes. So in our world, we think of that large business that has a lot of suppliers or a lot of customers as a center node. In our network is sort of node-enabled network discussion. They are our partner. The center node is our partner in the acquisition of their suppliers and their customers. A supplier can be paid early and be paid a little bit less at hopefully a cost that is less than what that supplier is paying to the bank, or if they don't have a bank, at giving them new available capital. In the case of a customer, a customer might be enabled to pay more slowly, but pay a little bit more. Right. So we create price discovery in our marketplace between those who have money and those who need money, whether that's the center node with a supplier or a center node with their customer. Right, right. Got it. Okay. So before we dig into that, I want to take a step back and just talk about sort of the the working capital marketplace in general. Like the small business owners, they always need it. I've been a small business owner my pretty much my whole career and it's always important to have access to working capital. And certainly in the last two to three years, it's been critical. But why do you think it is still so underserved today? I don't know that it's underserved. It, the nature of, of any sort of lending, if we're going to approach working capital from a, a risk on perspective and think about the risk underwriting of providing capital against an account receivable or against inventory, the first charter of a bank, at least those who are governed well and or Play by the rules of the government is not to lose the depositor's money. Therefore, they have to be thoughtful about how they, and I say they, I'm still a banker in some ways, they have to be thoughtful about the way they loan that money, which creates a filter or an aperture through which only so much capital can pass. So if you think about working capital globally, B2B sales in the course of a year total roughly $240 trillion. On 60-day terms, that means that there's 40 trillion of accounts receivable or accounts payable on the books of businesses on any given day. In the whole world, Peter, and you and I know this from sort of back of the envelope math, thinking about how much capital inside the banks is devoted to working capital, against that 40 trillion of accounts receivable is available for potential liquefaction through lending. Only 4 trillion is available in traditional finance. That's all the asset-based lenders, that's all the bankers, that's all the supply chain finance people, that's all the traditional finance. 4 trillion trying to solve for this $40 trillion opportunity. 
So C2FO doesn't see itself as against the banks. It sees itself as stepping into the vacuum that the banks, because of the need for risk-based underwriting, cannot fill. So if you have to risk underwrite, you have to think about the potential loss. In our world, we just crossed 200 billion of funding earlier this month. On 200 billion of funding, we have had zero losses because we don't loan money. We simply enable the early payment, which is the same as working capital. I mean, you're a small business. Would you rather go to the bank, beg, borrow, and and plead to get money? Or would you rather have your customer just pay you on time or sooner? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When you've got a large accounts receivable, it's great to get the money in. So let's talk a little bit about how the marketplace works exactly. So you sort of described it a, a little bit, but I want to delve into it where you can use the small business who needs money and how... Like, how do they decide on the pricing for what they're willing to accept as a discount for somebody who pays early? And maybe just talk a little bit about the mechanics of how that all works. Last year, we did just about $50 billion of funding. Our total cost of that funding, in other words, that which the supplier paid, or in some cases, a customer paid, was 5.2% APR. That was a discount of roughly 47 basis points, one less than one half of 1% uh, to be paid sooner. So we wish to be and believe we are the most convenient, lowest cost source of capital for those who use us. And it's not because we're brilliant. We're not. We're just basic blocking and tackling company. It's because we've been able to eliminate credit risk. If you are Costco or you are Intel or you are Amazon or, or whoever you are, when you have an account payable, You've accepted the product or the good that your supplier has given you. You're going to pay in 30 days or 40 days or 50 days. The acceleration of that payment does not entail credit risk for you. Whereas the taking of that account receivable to the bank does require the bank to risk underwrite you. So we reverse the flow. The idea of an intermediary coming between the reflexive reciprocity, if you will, of the AR and the AP is ludicrous. The introduction of a third-party intermediary and the facilitation of capital flows between AP and IR only creates more noise, more cost, more risk underwriting. It's a relic of a broken financial system. So eliminate the intermediaries, create a marketplace for those who have money, the Costco's, the Intel's, the Amazon's of the world, to pay their suppliers early at a rate or price that that supplier names. So if you're borrowing at 7%, put in 6 if you're borrowing at five, put in four. If you can't borrow, put in a rate that's, that's right for you, given your cost of operations and your potential return on that, the money that you're going to get. We built this platform and patented the ability for those suppliers or customers to name their rate for the working capital they want. So that's why we have such a high NPS. And our NPS last quarter was 72. This quarter it dropped to 69. I'm not happy about that, but it's still leaps and bounds above other financial institutions. Right. We built an apparatus now for... 1.5 million customers in 180 countries to be able to name their rate for working capital without having to be risk it. Right, right. And then how much sooner on average are these are people seeing the money? Like how many days are you saving them? So I think uh, last year, 32 days early was the average. Okay. Okay. And then so... Are you working with like the majority of the Fortune 100? I mean, I know that they all have massive procurement operations. What's, uh... well, we're, again, very lucky. Uh, thanks to our early customers and our great team that did a great job taking care of those early customers. I think we now have something on the order of 75 of the Fortune 100 working wow. with us and something like 270 or 300 of the Fortune 1000. Okay. So then how do people find out about you? Like the, the supplier who's, they're a relatively small supplier and they're, They've landed 
Walmart or Costco or someone like that, and they've never heard of a C2FO, um, but do they hear it then from Costco saying, oh, do you want to be paid early? You, you can go sign up for C2FO. Or how does that work? That was probably one of the historical lucky precedents. Since I had grown up in the business of B2B selling, I understood B2B. I understood how to talk to a CFO of a Costco or a CFO of a Walmart and have the conversations. Again, very fortuitous in a sense that that was my go-to. That was always my sales motion as a young man growing up. And now as an older man growing up, it's sort of my vernacular. It turns out that it's also a ridiculously cost-efficient way to acquire the suppliers or customers of those businesses. They have the brand with their customers. They have the brand with their suppliers. They are our partner in acquiring the suppliers and the customers that they have. If you're a customer of Intel and Intel says, here's a potential way for you to pay a little bit more, but pay it slower. If you're a supplier of Intel, here's a way for you to be paid sooner, but be paid a little bit less. That cost of acquiring is a fraction, a fraction of a fraction of what I spent to acquire that same business when I was a banker. Right, right, for sure. And then and then imagine it snowballs from there, like that small business who's supplying Walmart has suppliers themselves, and now they're in the C2FO system. They're going to say, oh, I want you guys to join that so I can imagine. Is that how you've grown to 1.5 million? Is it mainly through the chain reaction of all the different components of the system? Our utilization rates go up as our point of connection. You know, Metcalf was, was the founder of, Robert Metcalf was the founder of 3Com and the father of TCPI protocol. His Metcalf's law is that the value of a network is equal to the square of its users. We actually see that in absolute fact inside our system. So as we bring in more connections, in other words, as that supplier who is a supplier to Costco is also a supplier to Albertsons, is also a supplier to Kroger, is also a supplier to X, Y, and Z, that platform becomes much more robust for that supplier because more and more of their working capital is there. So as we grow, additional network effects bring in more suppliers because there's more working capital for them to harvest on our platform than anywhere else. Right, right, right. And so you've got your early pay product where people can get their money early and also you've got the product where people can delay payment on the other side if they want to kind of manage their cash flow that way. But are you, are you working with customers in other ways to, you know, to solve financing needs or is that really the main focus? The first thing we want to do is give everyone in our ecosystem, everyone on our platform, a view of what their forward cash flow looks like. And we do that through our platform called Invoice Central. There they will see in one place everything that they are owed by all of their customers that are on our platform. So you may have built Walmart this, you may have built Amazon that, you may have built HP this. Here's what HP says they're going to pay. Here's what Intel says they're going to pay. And here's exactly when you're going to get paid. Now then, would you like to be paid sooner? Then they can come in and accelerate that. So the, the first thing we offer is a crystal, empirically true, not an artificial intelligence, not anecdotal, an empirically true view of what your forward cash flows are going to look like. And then we give you the option to accelerate it at your price, at your discretion, when you want it, how you want it. So first is just better information, then flow of funds. And then, Peter, if we do our job as time passes and we're nowhere near there yet, we only have $2 trillion matched in our marketplace today. It ought to be $20 trillion. Uh, So there's a lot of work for us to do. But if we can get to that, then I would think it would be possible potentially for us to be able to publish a C2FO score or a C score for small and mid-sized biz 
to be able to use to reduce their cost of borrow from banks for things that we don't do today. Right. Term loans, equipment loans. We need to figure out a way. Small business is 50 to 55% of all major economies' GDP. And yet they are the most underserved by the financial system. You know, I just talked about the reasons for that. If we could create a way to cause their cost to borrow to go down through data, yes, and also through empirical matching and what we do inside C2FO, but I'm all in favor of opening the spigot and allowing as much capital flow as possible, data enabled by what we see. So we're, we're driving hard towards a C2FO score that would enable lower cost capital, even when that supplier or that customer was not using our platform. Right, right. How does it actually work as far as like the, the Walmart customer and the small business, they've said they'll accept you know a discount for early payment. How do you ensure that happens? What's the flow of funds like? Are you pulling from Walmart or what are you doing? So every night, the good men and women of C2FO and, and the systems they built take in 50 million approved invoices from the biggest businesses in the world. These invoices are coming from the AP systems of the Fortune 1000. This is the promise to pay. I'm going to pay you, Joe Supplier, in 32 days. So we take that 32-day promissory, right, which is basically their account payable. We push that off to Joe Supplier. Joe says, ah, I now I know what I repaid in 32 days. That's awesome. Thank you very much, C2FO. I can now accelerate on our platform. So the we see first the AP. Second, we see the offer potentially from the supplier or the customer. And then third, we see whether that was paid or not. So we do see the audit trail and we help if there is a problem, we can help that entity that wanted or needed that capital. We can help that entity get it if somehow it was processed or lost in process or otherwise. So we, we present another helping hand, not just the technology, but we put a voice and a face and a human behind the technology. If something went wrong, we want to be able to help take care of you. Happily, very rarely does anything go wrong because the center node or the big buyer, those are the Walmart, the HP, the Intels of the world, they're wanting to do this to strengthen their supply chain. They're wanting to do this to strengthen their customer base. And by the way, they're also reducing their cost of goods when it's a supplier because they're paying a little bit less, but paying earlier. And they're increasing their revenue with a customer because they're going to be charging a little bit more, but being paid a little bit later. Right, right. Gotcha. Okay, so then... You know, what are the, the verticals or the industries that are most popular on your platform? Any industry where there is a diverse supply base, any industry where you have a fair number of, of nodes, right? So basically everything. We're very fortunate. We started in retail. Retail has been very good to us. We've got a great uh, vertical in technology, logistics, transportation, manufacturing, automotive, aerospace. Capital is fungible across all entities, all entities and all industries, and, and everyone needs it. So we I wish I had the foresight to tell you I was this smart when we started the company. I was just trying to solve a problem for myself. But mm -hmm. this is a fundamental problem in all business. Working capital is fundamental. It is to me, and we said this, I'm sure you've heard me say this before, working capital is water for commerce. Just that simple. And, and there's no reason for it to be restricted. And the only reason it's restricted is because we're involved in this risk-based underwriting shenanigan, which should not take place in working capital. When you can match up the AP and the AR and you can accelerate payment that don't need to risk underwrite. Right. Okay. I want to um, switch gears a little bit and talk about a Wall Street Journal. I think it was an op-ed that you wrote. It was a little while ago during the pandemic, early days of the pandemic, if my memory serves me right. You know, maybe you could describe what you were sort of putting out there into the world as far as an idea for helping kind of stimulate the economy in the early days there. I think the banks did a fantastic job in many ways with PPP. I think Main Street lending fund by the government was a little bit more challenged. I watched, because I'm still on the board of the bank that I ran, I watched our bank work 724 for 
months to get all the PPP process, and they were fabulous and fantastic, but they still didn't get everything done. I was arguing that it might be better to fund that center node to allow the center node, in this case, a large corporation, who was rightly concerned at that time because they didn't know what was going to happen to their business during the pandemic. So many of them began being a little bit more careful on how they paid. They weren't paying early. Sometimes they were paying later. We saw this happen in droves. So what if we could have gotten brought money to that center node to accelerate payment, in particular to small and mid-sized businesses? And as we dug deeper, what we saw, Peter, is we saw that even those small businesses that were doubly disadvantaged, unfortunately, I hate to say it this way, but in a majority-minority world, MBE business, brown and black-owned business in the United States, female-owned biz, women-owned biz in the United States, uh, utilize our platform, and I'm very proud of this, utilize our platform five to seven times more than their majority cohort, their male cohort, or otherwise. Why is that? Because the financial system today isn't there for them. It isn't serving them well. And we can get into lots of reasons why that exists, but the fact of the matter is small biz, diverse biz, women-owned biz have a harder time securing capital. And our position was, let's get them paid sooner on our platform at rates that are ridiculously low, even below the 5.2% APR that we did. Let's get them paid at 1.5% APR. Let's get them paid at a half percent APR because these are the companies that are struggling the most right now in this pandemic. Yeah, thank you for seeing that, that what we wrote. It, it turned out, as you can imagine, it's sort of hard to move the government. We were trying to inform public policy and I think that's measured in not in uh, sort of our time, but in geological time. So we just didn't, <laughs> right. we, we, we didn't have enough time. But a lot of our private companies, a lot of our private sector companies saw that and said, wait a minute, you don't need the government to do this. Let's do it ourselves. Right. Right. So Walmart, Albertsons, Intel, others have put together markets that are there for those diverse businesses at rates that are really outstanding. And I think it's solving a major problem for businesses that were not able to get capital as efficiently as before. Right. Yeah. I just want to go back to what you said then. So you said it was like, was it five to seven times more likely to use your platform than a male or white male-owned business? I mean, that that is staggering to me. So do you, I mean, are they getting similar kinds of advance rates or how do they operate on your platform? So the analysis that I gave you, the five to seven X utilization was even before we started new markets, as we said, we build markets for large companies and their supply chain and their customer base. And we do price discovery that allow for early payment of capital suppliers, perhaps late payment of, of dollars from customers to the center note. In this world, we were seeing five to seven X utilization. Once we built markets that were even lower priced, in other words, we were able to convince, we didn't have to convince a lot of our, as I said, our large customers said, we want to provide capital at lower cost to those who are underserved by the financial system. So our utilization rates have gone up even more. So last year, we did $2 billion of funding to diverse businesses, mm. brown and black-owned businesses in the U.S., women-owned businesses in the U.S. In the first quarter of this year, just this last first quarter, we did almost a billion. So we're on pace to double that again this year. The reason I think there's need, right? They're just not being served by the financial system today. And it's not an indictment of the financial system. It's just fact. So I'm really happy to see that sort of growth inside our marketplace. That's amazing. That's truly astounding scale. Some government programs are smaller than that. So that really is pretty impressive. So then it sounds like you're, you're operating beyond the United States because obviously we live in a global, a global world. I mean, what, what is your that operating? Was, that was the other thing that I wasn't smart enough to realize. Like, it's one of those deals like, oh boy, we landed Costco. And then it was, oh crap, we landed Costco. We were <laughs> immediately global. 
with 13 people, right? Because they had suppliers all throughout the world. We have customers, uh, funded customers in about 180 countries around the world. We operate in 46 different currencies and something on the order of 16 or 17 different languages. Happily, we're not 13 people anymore. We're up to about 900 folks. And again, great team that's done a great job building a platform. We spent the money early on to build a global platform that's capable of doing this type of working capital flow, regardless of where our customer is. We decided not just to be retail, not just to be U.S. Our position is very simple. We want to see that every business in the world has the capital they need to thrive. First step we can take is by de-risking the provisioning of capital, which allows us to lower the price for that working capital and create a marketplace so it is just ridiculously easy for those who need it to get paid sooner to alleviate their working capital needs. So global platform, low cost, convenient, ridiculously easy to use with that patented ability for our customer to name their rate for the working capital they need, which gives us that 69, 70 or 72 NPS. Right, right. Okay, I want to talk, if you could, a little bit about just what's been going on this year. I mean, we, we live in unusual economic times. Obviously, there's inflation, there's uh, trade disruptions from the war in Ukraine. I mean, what what are you seeing inside your platform that's sort of hitting home with what the economic circumstances are today? We began to see inflation a little bit before the governments of the world began to see it because we saw the rate of increase with the unit invoices on our platform. As I said, we bring in, we're sent 50 million approved invoices every night. And if we were to isolate down on like to like over the course of time, we began to see a rapid increase in average invoice size well over 12 months ago. Hmm. And we continue to see it and we continue to see it in advance of what the CPI is publishing or what the PPI is publishing. So we're we're a bit of a, a clarion or early bell for monitoring, watching inflation. So the other thing that we're seeing, of course, is a lot of folks are looking to increase prices because obviously inflation is driving the need for this. Now, the problem with this is that as prices increase, there's going to be more churn in the supply chain. So we're beginning to see more churn of suppliers inside the, the baseline marketplace. I suppose this is the way of the world. One thing that we're positioning to do, and instead of seeing rampant price increases, we're working with a large percentage of our supplier base to accelerate their cash conversion cycle. So if they can accelerate cash conversion from you know, say inventory to AR to cash, or if their inflationary pressures are causing what they're buying tomorrow to be more expensive than what they sold today, they need to move rapidly to acquire new inventory. If we can accelerate payment effectively for a large cohort of our suppliers, perhaps they can also keep their customers without having to increase their prices. So there are inefficiencies in the system today that can be addressed to help offset the pressures of inflation. So it's not a fait accompli that we have to be in this inflationary spiral. I think there's a lot of process improvement and systemic improvement that can counterbalance the need to increase price if we can get rid of the sloppiness in the financial system today. Right, right. Interesting. So then I got to ask because you said you're sort of a, you have an early kind of insight into inflation. I mean, are you seeing it top out? Are you seeing economists have said that we're, we've topped out now, we're going to be down towards the end of the year? What are you seeing? Yeah. Not, well, your viewers can't see me. I'm looking to see if I've got a response from my team because I was asking about that. I was on my bicycle this morning doing my little stationary routine, watching CNBC predict an 8.1% CPI. And I sent to my guys and gals what they were thinking. They think it's going to come in higher. Really? So look, looking at our data as of today, those data seem to indicate 
a little bit higher CPI than what the government's projecting currently. But we'll see. I don't know that, A, the final numbers have been announced. They're targeting 8.1, but I do know that our team thought it was going to come in a little bit higher. Right, right. Okay. So before we close, this is one thing I want to be clear on, or a couple more things. Firstly, how do you make money? What is the actual business model here? There are three principal streams of revenue, but the most important is transaction-based revenue. As early payment is made to suppliers or slower payment is made from customers, there is money that is being made by the center node. Either they're paying a little bit less to their supplier or they're getting paid a little bit more by their customer. We don't charge our suppliers anything to be on a platform, and we don't charge the customers of our center node anything to be on the platform. We simply say to that center node, again, we've named a lot of our customers already, but XYZ customer, if you're making 10 million or 50 million of reduced costs or, or more revenue because of our platform, would you share 20 to 25% of that with us? And so we don't have a SaaS model. We have a highly predictive transaction revenue model and our net revenue retention is 133% per year. So I'd rather be transaction revenue based than flat SaaS based. Right. Got it. Okay, so then last question. I've heard you mentioned before, like I think you said there's forty trillion dollars of outstanding receivables every year. I mean, what is No, 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 not not every year, every day. Every, every day, day there's forty trillion. Right. You have to think about it. Account receivable, account payable is a balance sheet uh, metric. Right. Cost of goods, revenue is going to be an income statement metric. So two hundred and forty trillion of trade between businesses in the course of a year on sixty day payment terms means you've got about forty trillion of AR or AP on the books of businesses on any given day. Gotcha. So a huge market. Had no idea when I started the company. I, again, I think sometimes it's just better to be lucky. I was awfully lucky that I had a problem that was personal. But it was also a really big market. So our team has done a great job building into that market. So then, so my last question is this, then what's your vision for that $40 trillion? Because right now, obviously, it's not being met in its entirety or even close to. How do we get there? How do we make this $40 trillion you know, available to everyone who wants it? There's probably a million ways to solve for it. We think we've got a fairly efficient, effective way in the creation of marketplaces that allow for the de-risking of this working capital. Let me put a finer point on it. We'd love to see more people in this space. We'd love to see more people focused on this because that 40 trillion, or in this case, 36 trillion that's unfinanced, costs the world's economy plus or minus three to $4 trillion per year. Okay, there are grand total of four, maybe now five countries in the world that have a GDP greater than $4 trillion. So imagine bringing in a country like that online. Now imagine adding $4 trillion back to the world's economy by solving this vacuum gap of opportunity, by solving this need for more capital against that which is out there. And, and the only way you're going to do it, I think, is through more transparency, more marketplaces like ours, less risk underwriting, and more open flow of capital at prices that work for customers. Right, right. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Sandy. Boy, that's a tantalizing thought. And I think you've got a great thing going there and really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you, Peter. Really joy to be with you. You know, to me, it's such a simple idea that C2FO have done, but they've executed obviously extraordinarily well. And they've got now network effects where there's huge numbers of companies dealing with both their own customers and their suppliers 
on the C2FO platform, optimizing the terms that are most suitable for them. Obviously, in difficult times, really trying to delay payment as much as possible and get in payment as early as possible. When things are going well, they could do the opposite. So it really is such a unique and I think worthwhile endeavor for for companies because as Sandy said many times, like the working capital piece is so critical for companies and he's found a way to kind of juice the system and that is certainly a good thing. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.